Hey, we just heard Bored from the Deftones album Adrenaline. This is 1995 Crucial Years in Metal, Requiem Metal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And this appears to be part six. Well, number six in the. So there's five more after this, if that makes sense. And our uh, countdown of, uh, in our humble opinion, the, the crucial years of metal. 1995 is sort of the, the year metal metal died in a weird way. It's metal like the, died. There's also, this is like the most unbelievable records, it seems like. The, the list that started coming together is just kind of retarded. I think each year it gets tougher and tougher, you know, to yeah. cut cut out babies that we uh, we love dearly and, and, you know, think of as children in a way. And, um, yeah, 95 is a weird year because this is sort of when... Um, big transition year. New metal was coming to prominence. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of new metal, we'll, we'll come back to why we played the Deftones and all that stuff, and why, in, in our humble opinion, it's kind of it's it's a relevant record in its own right. But yeah, new metal. This is sort of where death metal has kind of all but disappeared or became kind of a parody of itself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you had some good death metal records that were still coming out. Um, you know, death symbolic, but that's not really even a death re- uh, death metal record. It's more of like just a great heavy metal record at this point. You know, Six Feet Under, Haunted, was in Morbid Angel Domination, uh, Suffocation, Pierced from Within. But, you know, these are sort of rare examples. I mean, a lot of the original... The established bands, and we've got, like, uh, Rongan Records coming into prominence with, you know, the War Comp and, like, that whole other, like, Gothenburg-ish kind of, uh, you know, super melodic metal at this point. Yeah, and I mean, not the, you know, the Stockholm scene had sort of cycled itself out. The Florida scene had kind of cycled itself out. And, uh, you know, I was looking for some new blood. And in America, what kind of filled that hole was um, was a whole lot of different kind of flavors, I guess you could say. And some of the flavors were really pretty awful, um, you know, with the whole new metal scene and stuff. But, but then the kind of a return to rock and roll sure, as yeah. well. You yeah, know, a lot of like, I mean, cause 70s bands like, throwback stuff. Yeah, too. like Caius, that were kind of, this was their last record they put mm-hmm. out this year. But then you've got, you know, Monster Magnet doing Dopes to Infinity. Yeah, and Clutch. Down. Yeah, Clutch. Down, you know, so the whole kind of stoner rock and roll type scene was kind of starting up. Fu Manchu was coming out at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and Groove Metal had kind of taken its hold over America in a way with uh, kind of the... What's a Groove Metal? Kind of what Pantera <laughs> and White Zombie okay. uh, were sort of doing. Yeah. This sort of, you know, just like groovy, but, you know but still heavy but yet like catchy enough for people to kind of buy into it and it was a weird time you know thrash had been dead for a few years now and and a lot of those bands didn't really know what to do you know we're still a year away from the return of metallica with load and and unload and reload and and the symphony record and uh garage inc (laughs) and uh yeah they put out a re-garage inc was it i don't don't remember what what the hell no it was garage inc revisited yeah there you go which actually i mean it's got a great uh uh, merciful, merciful fate, fate medley, medley. medley. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's. Anyways, I want to talk about Metallica because this is not 1996. This is 90, uh, 95. But what what started to happen is, you know, everyone. It was an opportunity for everyone to sort of experiment with. And, and Mark and I have often talked on a lot of our episodes about sort of the weird thing that kind of started to happen in 96, 97, especially to bands that were at like the core for us, like mm-hmm. the Paradise Lost, the Anathemas, the My Dying Brides, and some of those bands started to go through their own cycle of experimentation because it seemed like when things kind of implode in 1995, this being sort of the last like really great peak year where there was a lot of like metal communities still organized, mm-hmm. um, it offers metal a chance to sort of, you know, almost die and reinvent itself. And, and that's probably been good for like you know, the last 10, 15 years. Really. Well, it seems like it happens probably every six years, especially with the established bands, like, you know, with like your brides and things yeah. like that and dark tranquilities. And 
uh, even in flames to some degree, even though it's not quite the kind of direction I'd like to see them going. But yeah, I mean, this was almost, I think 95 is probably the year, the big transition year for a lot of these big bands too, right before they kind of go, they do their 34% completes. Yeah. 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 Things like that. And their, uh, seconds and things like that. And this is, uh, you know, just thinking back to where I was in 1995 compared to where Mark was, I mean, you guys at this point are so firmly entrenched in the underground scene. Um, you're, you're, you know, Requiem is sort of hitting on all cylinders at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, you're about to start working for Relapse, at, you know. 96, yeah. You know, so. So the, all the mainstream stuff's com- almost completely off my radar. Yeah, and this is, and, and that what makes this show odd, the 1995 one odd, is this is really where, like, my group of friends, I was like a sophomore in high school when this came out or when 95 was was sort of rolling through and this is where like my worlds are about to merge you know this is the year that i'm going to meet chris Mm -hmm. uh who's you know uh who did requiem with mark and who's been on the show uh helping us out a couple times before and you know i mean this is a weird year for me because i'm i'm going to the record store and i'm buying deftones but i'm also buying at the gate slaughter of the soul and I'm, i'm sort of towing this weird line between you know where am i am i in the mainstream metal scene anymore or yeah you know where am i gonna go and stuff so i this year is really important to me from from that perspective you know and going back to the record we open up with deftones um i mean adrenaline this was sort of you know they were a band that corn supposedly discovered and you know another los angeles kind of new metal band and stuff that had some I don't want to say rap aspects to it, but there's certainly some kind of different, almost hip hoppy influences that were going on without being totally like think, suffocating yeah, or about, more for their uh, their rhythm section yeah. than anything else. Like the bass is a little bit has a little bit more life to it, mm-hmm. as with the drum beats are a little snappier. But I mean, Deftones is a band that has greatly surpassed supposedly their discoverers of Corn, oh, yeah. well, which are kind of a one hit wonder really when you look at i mean look at they don't they've never really kind of hit that next level yeah well i mean in terms of popularity corn's always outpaced deftones but in terms of like developing and where their sound evolved no one who heard the early deftones you know this record would have thought that they would have ended up where they are in mm-hmm. terms of being this sort of dynamic shoegazy catatonia like you know Really, a I think pretty emotional band. Yeah, they kind of they share a lot of similarities with Catatonia now for sure. Mm-hmm. And with after like White Pony is the first album I actually I think heard in its entirety. I was like, oh my god, this is unbelievable. Well, what, what was odd is I was so into Adrenaline. I actually, you know, we actually went and saw Deftones when nobody really knew about them to the point where we actually got to hang out with the guys as I'm staring at this cover that's you know, signed by the guys. <laughs> and we got up on stage and actually played during the warm up with them. I remember uh, one of my buddies, Paul Dyer, played one week on stage with them a little mm-hmm. bit when no, they were just sound checking and stuff. So it was like nobody knew who the Deftones were, but we were really into them because of uh, we had heard some of their songs on Concrete Corner sampler sampler things and uh which we'll come back to concrete corner later in the episode two and we talk about paradise lost but yeah it was, it was it was weird because i i got into this record and then as i said there's a snap judgment that has to happen for my group of friends about 95 96 and we immediately abandoned pretty much all of this stuff like mm-hmm. within a year you know um and by the time that the second deftones record rolls around uh, which in hindsight is a great record. I just had dismissed them. Was as, that around the fur? Yeah, I had just dismissed them as being a new metal band. And I was like, eh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like Deftones anymore. You know, it, almost like the only band that we actually took from this era forward with us was probably Tool. You know, and and we didn't really attach any but stigma it took, to Tool. It took so many years between albums to come out that it didn't really, they didn't fit in any scene really. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so anyway, so I'll, uh, Mark and I will stand behind the Deftones being you know a, a valuable you know addition to the metal community and well, even know. their new record that just came out. 
great. completely valid in the context of this era of, mm-hmm. well, I mean, almost all the boundaries are kind of breaking down at this point, too. So, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, so that's why we wanted to start off with that because, in a way, that represents sort of the, the new, like it or, or hate it, that's sort of the new direction that, that metal as a mainstream genre is going to start to move towards, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a band like Deftones and kind of defines at least the, the, the good side of that whole new metal thing, you know, that's going to turn into a, a, a shit fest. Uh, but in terms of, you know, some other American stuff, really America had, had splintered, like we said. And so the next set of music we were going to kind of, you know, get into um, was going to sort of play to, to some of these like diverging genres and stuff. You know, I mean, this was a year where Mr. Bungle, Disco Volante had come out along with King, you know, King for a Day from Faith No More. So mm-hmm. Mike Patton was making his, you know, kind of stamp on society. We already mentioned some of the death metal records that came out. White Zombies, Astro Keep 2000 was probably the big American metal record of this year. Especially um, for radio play. Yeah, for sure. You know, more human than human. Like, shoot me if I hear that song again. Uh, you know, in terms for, for people, I know Mark and I aren't really big fans, but I know a lot of people do get kind of stoked about Devin Townsend. The first Strapping Young Lad came out, and that was there was a lot of hype around that and had mm-hmm. a couple couple cool songs on there, at least from my point of and view. And brought the, uh, the skullet into, uh, the, into vogue. Yes, it did. <laughs> and, you know, this is odd because Mark's talked about this. I remember when we did the Tiamat show, you and Chris talked about the uh, In the Eyes of Death comp and how what a big comp that was yeah. for you guys being a century media introduction to a lot of cool bands mm-hmm. this was for me you know there are a couple of compilations that came out including century media's first identity comp which had like a lot of cool stuff including strapping young lad and, and some things on there and then the uhf vhf uh, nuclear blast relapse comp where mm-hmm. dissection and dismember for the first time so yeah, it, 96 would have been 96 or early 97 was when relapse dissolved its relationship with nuclear, nuclear blast. blast yeah so um but yeah, I know my group of friends, you know, besides listening to Caius and the self-titled Clutch, we were also listening to COC Deliverance, which unfortunately was released in November 94, so we couldn't throw it into the, the uh, into this And talk show, about, uh, but, you know, kind of like changing styles or diverging styles. I mean, going from like a hardcore punk band to Southern almost rock. a thrash band yeah, to Southern yeah. Rock slash... You, you know, know fuzzed out or whatever yeah. stuff yeah and uh and speaking of that stuff we've got a couple of of stonery doomy kind of mismatches of genres uh kind of coming up because again this was sort of what america was going on or was america was up to you know um we're going to start with one that's not stonery doom but really defined another type of uh musical genre that was starting to really take hold in the 90s which was a sort of industrial metal hybrid kind of thing that was happening because of ministry and nine inch nail success mm-hmm. and god flesh and pitch shifter and fear factory kind of takes the torch and becomes one of the big roadrunner bands they almost take the torch from some of the death metal bands like obituary and things like that that had been yeah. like the face of roadrunner and bands like fear factory and machine head you know kind of move forward and sepultura when they start to like new metal it up a little with roots you know and mm-hmm. stuff they'll kind of become the new face of like roadrunner america well, and this metal stuff. becomes like kind of the crossover more extreme stuff for the new metal kids mm-hmm. absolutely you know i mean this is still a very heavy heavy record uh fear factory's demanufacture and thematically and lyrically wise i mean it's if you're into blade runner and terminator and i mean it's it's a fairly intelligent record i know that mark you know this was you you were so far away from fear factory at this point that it soul of a new machine was interesting when it came out to me but this i was just i still cannot get into this record i don't know what if it's the stop start i mean this is uh was this the year that mashuga 
Yes, this is, and we'll talk about Meshuga later. But, but yeah, that, the same kind of thing where it's just like I, I don't understand the appeal. It just something it gets lost in translation with me. And and to be fair to Mark too, I mean Mark, I mean you've never been like the world's biggest like tech metalhead either. You no. know that's been more something like I guess Chris and I were more into than, than you 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 like your metal it's a little rough sloppier yeah, rough around the edges know. a little bit more organic yeah which is like you know I, and, and you know fear factory is anything but organic you yeah. know and that's sort of the, the point you know they're very like futuristic industrial and, and that kind of thing but you know so we've got self-biased uh resistor on the way from demanufacture and then monster magnets dopes to infinity and downs no uh nola which nor you know uh new orleans louisiana is what it stands for those are in uh couple other big kind of i guess american records you know monster magnet dopes to infinity really was like the rolling the red carpet out on the whole like stoner scene in a, in a sense you know it was like the which i still i still it. hate that using that term for it it is i don't know a, what a lame genre it's term. just i mean it's just it's, it's rock. just doom you know it's yeah. doom rock, doom or, rock or whatever you know? But Down's also kind of like one of the first big crossovers between uh, underground metal, like with I Hate God and oh, man. Crowbar, and then, you know, Phil Anselmo from Pantera, which is huge at this point. I mean, him putting a stamp on that was like a really big deal. And mm-hmm. I remember, too, you know, seeing Pantera during this era as well. And, and Phil uh, talked on stage for quite a while about Dark Throne and Emperor. He'd, be, I, he'd always see him in a Transylvanian hunger, yeah. like, you know, t-shirt. And too. I mean, as much of, of, a, of a, a knucklehead as a lot of people probably think he is, I mean, he's he has sort of lived and died for the, the metal scene, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever his, you know, downfall or misgivings are. Yeah, at this point, he almost kind of like sacrifices all of his mainstream success for, you know, what he's really into, yeah. which is kind of admirable in a way, yeah. you know? Yeah, you, you know, in a way, you got to respect that. And, and Down, this is a really huge record, especially, uh, you know, this and Monster Magnet were big ones for, for Grindcore Coon and I. Um, but, you know, it's it was it was cool to see, like, Black Sabbath, you know, mixed with sort of COC Southern Rock and then also, like, just amped and, and kind of sludgified a little bit with that kind of I Hate God Mm-hmm. kind of nastiness to it you know so it yeah. was a dirty record by by any by all means but but fantastic so but well, this uh, is what label was this on it was on sire or uh yeah it was on east west records um electric interscope yeah, electric. Electric. okay you know so i mean these are bands that are now getting the kind of on the mainstream and, mm-hmm. and starting to make a, a bigger feel uh you know atlantic was putting out clutch and you know it was, it was kind of a an odd odd scene going on and you know, I think there was a sense that some of these bands like Monster Magnet, you know, when uh, the song we're going to play, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, came out, there was a sense maybe this was going to blow some of these bands up, and th- none of them did. You know, it was kind of weird. They, like, had their well, moment, and I think, then they kind of... Yeah, I mean, a band like I Hate God, purely given their name, is not going to have mainstream success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, like, I mean, how harsh and kind of unforgiving and relentless it is, but... I meant more like the Monster even, Magnets uh, and the Downs and the COC. And even, like, Robart kind of, like, came to some prominence. I mean, they toured with Pantera off uh, the Vulgar. Yeah. Just playing Power Tour. Yeah. And that's where I first heard them. I was like, the, the ugliest group of guys you'd ever see, but they were heavy <laughs> as hell. Oh, man, slow and heavy and nasty yeah. and all that, so... Yeah, but so these are uh, these are I guess three positive areas that the American scene is kind of going into in this uh, time period, and so we're gonna hear uh, Fear Factory, Self Bias, Resistor, Negasonic, Teenage Warhead from Monster Magnet, and Hail the Leaf from Down, and then we'll end with a uh, a surprise twist that's gonna take us in a whole new direction.
sick with fever And cry out loud to God Your sorry will be piled upon me That I can't see My God
That was from Darkest Skies from My Dying Bride's Angel in the Dark River. Before that, we had Down, Monster Magnet, and then Fear Factory. So we've gone now, Mark, from America to a much gloomier, doomier place, which is sort of uh, we're kind of touching touching Europe now. Yeah. And well, our to next look at the couple of things are going to. Well, the, I guess, uh, you know, Bride is uh, from the UK, and then we we're going to have some Paradise Loss as well coming up from the same geographic region and kind of have, with the same roots, but really different kind of approaches and, and how they really kind of like progressed into what they become down the road. And uh, with My Dying Bride, this is like the first album where uh, Aaron Stanthorpe basically dropped the death vocals altogether. Completely, yeah. And He's starting uh, to do it a lot on Turn Loose the Swans, if yeah. you know, half and half. and then. But this, you actually see like, I mean, he's, he's a non-conventional vocalist in his approach. For sure, he's not like a, a great... You know, he doesn't have a great range, but he really he has a really unique approach, and it's I, very emotive. You know, I mean, totally. I mean, it's 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 gothy in a sense, but it's not you know the paint your eyes black and slit your wrist kind of stuff either. It actually feels like the lyrically feels really really genuine. Mm-hmm. This is one of the first uh, records I really got into lyrically because everything just had an air of truth to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this this album was huge for I, nobody really that I knew that was into Bride like even Bad and I when this came out were just like it's great. I didn't miss the death metal vocals at all. Yeah. Yeah, and it had a total street cred, and it's it's a weird record too because this is one that I've found through the years that I can get a lot of my friends who are females that aren't really into metal mm-hmm. can kind of get behind it. I think um, it's, it's got a lot of honesty to it. I think that's what really a genuine comes kind of romantic. Same with like to the, it, you know? a lot of the anathema stuff at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, speaking of the the sort of British doom scene that was kind of going on at this point. This is sort of a, a big transitional year for a lot of these bands. You know, Anathema, Silent Enigma came out in Pentecost 3 earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pentecost 3 was sort of the last Darren vocals. And Silent Enigma was where Vincent, the who, who now is primarily the vocalist, uh, kind of had to learn how to sing in the studio and, and you know, kind of use Cowboyed this up, man. Tortured, uh, <laughs> tortured, you know, vocal kind, yeah. of kind of approach. And Silent Enigma is a... You know, if we had room for maybe like one more song on the show, you know, definitely Silent Enigma. But you can go uh, back and check out the uh, the Anathema part yeah, one and two a, that we did. We did a two parter on that and stuff. But in terms of this sort of doom and gloom kind of scene, you know, Catatonia's for Funerals to Come EP came out, which was you know, in a way a transitional record away from uh, Dance of December Souls type sound towards what they were going to become. Mm-hmm. You know, well, way. yeah, there's less there's less black metal influence mm-hmm. for sure, more and kind of doomy and and they, they open themselves up yeah. like huge. Uh, you know, you also had things like Cathedral's Carnival Bazaar, which, even though it was British, had almost it had just as much in common with with Bride and Paradise Lost as it did like what you just heard, like Monster Magnet and Down and some of that stuff. I mean, it was yeah. entrenched in like stoner scene, Black Sabbath, you know, just gloomy, you know, doing. And then you have rock, you, you know, know, like uh, dismember a staple of the Stockholm scene, like really opening up their sound. And to some people, hated it, but. David Bloomquist actually pulled out this almost like Iron Maiden lead yeah, yeah. tone. They started um, using that, a lot of warmth to the record. And yeah. I, there was a little bit of backlash with Massive Killing Capacity when it came out. But See, that was the first dismember I heard. It stands it was, up. Yeah, it still stands yeah. up really well. Then you've got you know established like uh, anarcho-punk acts like ENT coming out with Retribution, kind of like a comeback record for yeah. them, like yeah. with most of the band reestablished. And, and Napalm Death's Greed Killing EP came out, which was kind of... Uh, pretty controversial i mean you know the follow-up to that diatribes i think a lot of people hate it and that's really where napalm went through i guess three records of sort of soul searching their growing pains yeah well there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of instances of new metal ish kind of tinges to the record too Mm -hmm. it's like where do you take the whole grindcore thing at this point they 
had what like eight records out at this point or yeah. something and you know lineup changes still like uh mick was gone at this point so it was like danny hara had been on for a couple records maybe at this point too but yeah i think he had started on utopia banished yep yeah, so and then we've got the whole you know uh call and response guttural and female vocal thing that started uh, with and actually the first theater tragedy record is actually quite good yeah. but it kind of that i don't know if this record necessarily opened the floodgates but this is where we started seeing it with all the napalm record stuff and it's just mm-hmm. oh. and another dynamic sort of doomy female sort of approach w- that came out was this is the the first appearance of annika in the gathering when they did when they put out mandalion in 95 yeah. and you know that's I mean, I love The Gathering, you know, almost everything they've done. They've got a couple, you know, boring records that prior to this last one that came out. and But for the most part, they've been a really consistent. Oh, they got band. new vocalist, too. Yeah. And it's kind of injected breath a little. of energy, yeah. You know, so, you know, so the Doom scene is, is kind of in a, a good place. You know, it's weird, you know, because when Cathedral put out Force of Equilibrium in 90, you know, it was such an oddball record and everyone was fast, 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 fast. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like because of what grunge was doing to the mainstream American music with like bands like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, they really had their roots in Sabbath more than anything. Yeah. All of a sudden, like doom metal is kind of becoming like acceptable, you know, both in America and in to a certain extent, you know, I mean, Tony Iommi played on Cathedral's Carnival yeah, and Bazaar. U- Utopia you know? Blaster. Um, and so it was it was kind of a, an, an odd era in a, in a sense, especially with what was kind of going on in Europe. And there were some bands that were you know trying to move more towards less away from like the death metal roots and more towards you know rock and roll stuff too you know well and these these Carcass. bands these guys like when they're starting out they're like 15 16 17 they're in their 20s now it's like okay you you're gro- you're finding out who you are as a person musically too so it's mm-hmm. like okay you're definitely going to like spread out all your influence and stuff's going to be seeping in big time yeah you know. i think with cathedral this record's kind of it's a transitional record. I mean, it's not an essential record. It's solid from front to back, but it's not anything that I would... It's not a must-have no, by any means. not at all. Not at all. You know, and another band that was also transitioning, but unfortunately transitioning into their end period was, was Carcass, you know, Swan mm-hmm. Song. And again, you know, if we had, you know, an hour and 20 minutes worth of music that we could play and still have time to get into a lot of great doc sets, certainly we would have, you know, thrown in a Carcass tune because Swan Song, even though it's a controversial record, I still like it. I mean, it's it's a it's a goofy record, you know. I mean, it's like a great Megadeth record or something. I think if know? yeah, if you know if you know the guy's personalities, you know how Jeff Walker is. It's a totally it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, like I mean, they, they, there's no way you can go back to like Symphonies era. It just it doesn't work. Yeah, you hit a certain point and you just, it's not there anymore. Yeah. So and again, you talk about a lot of these bands. These is this is when a lot of those underground bands have come uh, above ground in the early '90s. They're starting to age. They're hitting their late 20s. And they're starting to think, like, do I really want to be playing the fastest songs in the world, the most technical songs in the world forever? Like, how how far can I go with this, you know? Yeah, I mean, just like with, like, the punk scene, like, back in the 80s, is like, okay, you could maybe, like, a, a prolific band would put out maybe two to three records in, like, a couple-year period. Mm-hmm. And they just fizzle out. Yeah. And it's weird to have this, you know, extreme, this is, like, the next, you know, kind of logical extension to that as far as the speed and everything. But these guys, some of these guys have been doing it for almost 30 years now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's really bizarre because I think metal has like the most longevity out of any scene. Yeah, it, it is weird. You know, like pop pop and, and mainstream rock and stuff and kind of spits people out. You know, they kind of get used to being popular. And then if they're not popular, they're done, you know. But these metal's, guys are also putting out. Metal's sort of used to being Metal's like always under, like, you know? you know, one to two years new record out, too. It's not like five-year gaps, six-years mm-hmm. gaps. You know? Yeah, that's true. And, and they tour a lot and, and mm-hmm. they're, they're usually pretty affordable 
tours to sort of get you know it's there's no like hundred dollar tickets that like totally no. has this this access to like you know their music mm-hmm. but, you know another band that i think was really exploring their rock and roll roots is a band that you know is near and dear to both of us as sentenced you know yeah came out with the muck muck is a fantastic rock metal you know sort of masterpiece and uh you know so there's a lot of different sort of things happening you know morpheus's bra- uh, brave order uh Black, Winter, Black Day. Winter Day. I was thinking of Brave Murder Day from Catatonia for some reason, and uh, you know that's that's a pretty transitional EP that's going to lead Amorphous into kind of their next phase with Elegy and the sort of ultra proggy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's a it's a different different time. And then we should mention and probably talk about them for a moment because it was the last band actually to get cut from our, our set. Oh, Opeth's Orchid. Um, and and this. This was, you know, the hard one because I mean, Opeth is certainly an important band to to Mark and I, and to you know, obviously fans of our podcast, and and we've done a lot with Opeth, so we felt like it was okay to to cut them loose, partially yeah. because their songs on Orchid are so long, and there's really no way to do justice by playing like you know, well, here's a four minute clip of it, but you don't really hear movement four, five, six, and seven. Yeah, so, and it's something. Know. Yeah, that we've got to, we've devoted a couple podcasts to them as well, so you can always go back in the archives and grab those. Yeah, and we threw we threw them on uh, the 2001 with uh, Blackwater Park, you know, and so I mean, Opeth is certainly no one would would argue that they're not an important band, but one of the th- reasons we we thought too to not throw them out on this uh, podcast is because. They didn't really break in 95, you know, Orchid came out and it was very quiet throughout Mm -hmm. the whole scene, you know, guys like you and and Chris were really the only people in America that were even like paying any attention. I think a big problem was the, the cover art was like, if you got that as a promo, okay, that's going in my cell bin. I mean, that's not, it's a band you've never heard of. It's on Candlelight Records, which was hit and miss at this point as far as like what exactly what kind of bands they were putting out. And uh, yeah, so I think a very few amount of people really cared. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it took, you know, you guys kind of doing some of the reviews and then the Europe to sort of catch up to. And it was really like, I feel like 96 is when Opeth really started to roll. And by the time Morning Rise came out, Orchid had kind of started to pick up steam and and Mm -hmm. they put Morning Rise out and it like kind of made sense all of a sudden, you know. But uh, certainly Opeth will, will sort of again in a way reinvigorate the european scene you know just like uh bride in the u.s scene yeah yeah that's true (laughs) there's a lot i mean opeth for how unremarkably non-commercial they are non-commercial and unpenetrable their their you know song links and some of their like progressive elements are they just seem to like continue to defy the odds and and Mm -hmm. build their fan base and you have to again commend them for that so but uh, anyways, we wanted to, uh, you know, another band that's that's kind of in its final phase of reinventing is Paradise Lost with Draconian Times. And uh, like Bride, they, they, you know, this record came out and I think the response was pretty positive to it, even though it was almost well, shed a lot of its like doom metal roots, you know, and it was almost it's like a rock record. Some, yeah, totally a rock record. It's really well produced. I mean, there's always those underground naysayers and people that never want anybody to ever progress beyond their demos yeah. uh, bitching about the vocals that they're like sellouts but what I mean, I mean was this as warmly time. received as Angel in the Dark River or was it a little more controversial this was I mean this was a record that had mass appeal over, way over My Dying Bride for okay. sure yeah, well, I mean yeah. uh, people that like you know, loved you know Metallica and Thrash and that kind of scene glommed onto Paradise Lost really yeah, quickly. Nick Holmes' vocals, especially in this record, really start to take on that James Hetfield kind of feel in a way. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then you know what happens with One Second that opens them up to the whole 4AD crowd and everybody else, and it's just 
that that was kind of like their last big record before you know host and then they kind of like yeah. diverge for a while and then come back strong well in draconian times speaking of those concrete corner samplers uh, this is where i heard uh hollowed land and uh Enchantment were both on a concrete corner sampler along with, you know, Deftones and Yeah, for those those who don't know, like the concrete corner was basically like a little wire rack over by the metal section that had a bunch of free tapes that you could take. Yeah. And basically just like little comp tapes. It's hit or miss. I mean yeah. I, I had some kind of concrete corners that had dish walla on it, you know, and then others where you'd get Paradise Lost. So it was I like, think it was one of those things to where lab- specific labels would pay X amount of dollars to put songs on and yeah. it was after a while, yeah, it did turn to turd, but it was a cool place like pre internet to mm-hmm. discover some new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we're going to take Paradise Lost into a new territory, and we're going to kind of get into the whole melodic uh, Swedish death scene. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that whole melodic Swedish death scene when we come back. But um, stay tuned for uh, Paradise Lost, Once Solemn, and then uh, In Flames will lead us into uh, some different territory. And we'll, we'll talk all about those bands and keep, kind of keep them a surprise. But enjoy uh, Once Solemn from Draconian Times.
Blind Guardians, Born in a Morning Hall from Imaginations from the Other Sides. Or Born in a Muddy Hole, as I thought it was originally. Yeah, and uh, Slaughter of the Soul from At the Gates with Suicide Nation, Dark Tranquility's The One Broading Warning from the Gallery, 
in flames biosphere from the subterranean ep and then we open with uh, paradise lost so the trio in the middle though we'll talk about those first then come come back to blind guardian which you just heard but uh what do those uh, three bands kind of have in common? The in flames, dark tranquility, and at the gates. Is- hey, Sweden. Hey, not only just Sweden, but uh, Gothenburg. Correct? Gothenburg. Yeah. Well, to to, to uh, an extent. To an extent. They're, they're, enough, that was the largest city. Yeah. yeah. But maybe as we, some suburbs. Maybe some. Uh, you know. Yeah, as we were, uh, you know, mentioned earlier with the whole war comp thing, which has ninety five came on ninety five has yeah. in flames, dark tranquility, not at the gates on it, but. Uh, huh. Eucharist as well, another big... Uh, yeah, Dissection was on it, mm-hmm. which uh, you know we'll have later on the show, but uh, that was just like a huge... As far as like the real underground stuff, because I know the, when you say uh, Rongian Records or War Records, which they later became, most people don't even know what the hell that is. Mm-hmm. It was such a small niche thing. Well, now it's become Regain Records. Regain Records, yeah. yeah. And th- they were that was like the blue note for us. Like anything, that was one of the few labels outside of early Earache that we could go, okay, anything that we anything see this label on, we'll yeah. buy. Yeah, and first, everything was great. The first Arch Enemy, um, you know, uh, miscreant, uh, excretion, excretion, morning sign, um, um, Nagafar Vitra came out yeah. on, you know, I mean, this is, and Nagafar Vitra is this year as well. And we'll, when we talk about this whole melodic Swedish death scene, um, they, they kind of play a role in that, but certainly the, the flagship bands, uh, or the flagship band from, from war alongside, I think Arch Enemy was, was probably in flames. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was like the band, yeah. uh, at the moment. And I don't think anyone would have suspected it from, you know, I mean, I don't know, was Lunar Strain, was that like a huge deal or did it really take Subterranean and the Jester race before it like all started to come together for Inflames? Uh, yeah, I don't really remember a whole lot of hubbub outside of just like in small circles. Yeah. But I mean, Jester race kind of blew the doors off, really. And Subterranean, for my money, that's almost the most solid five songs they ever wrote. You know, it's one of the greatest metal EPs from start to finish mm-hmm. I, I've ever heard. You know, it's got... Uh, Henke from from Dawn on vocals, so it's a little extra harsh, you know. Yeah. It's got Daniel uh, Ursulandison from Eucharist, who later will go on and drum for Arch Enemy, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so it's 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 kind of this dynamic, you know, super group in a way. Even though at the time nobody would have thought of it that way. Well, and Flames in this early state, I don't know if anybody actually remains from this initial inception. Just yet, Jesper. Jesper is about it. Well. Yeah, no, Andrews isn't in the band at this point. No, he's in Ceremonial Oaks right Rose. now. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, because Glenn Lay leaves and... and um, Forms Dimension Zero. Was Bjorn drumming at this point? Oh, no, Daniel's on this. Yeah, so... Yeah. Well, Bjorn was drumming, then he became he a guitarist. Then he comes a guitarist. <laughs> but he's not on this one. No. He's, you know, so... But yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, triumphant metal... Uh, you know, Biosphere, just a great, you know, opening. You know, very Iron Maiden-y. You know, the whole... Uh, which we've talked about before when we talk about Gothenburg, the sort of twin leads, the, the everything, you know, is, is sort it's, of operating. It's almost like the young generation that grew up with Iron Maiden, but also grew up listening to Entombed Records. And Creator and Destruction and yeah. some of that kind of stuff, you know. And, and you know, Dark Tranquility is the gallery, which was sort of their, uh, one of their, I, I think, you know, both their first records, Sky Dancer and this, were, were kind of both masterpieces in their own right. But this is a much tighter Well, and this uh, is more focus. indicative of where they'll go. Mm-hmm. They'll basically refine this formula for the next fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I think they've sort of simplified it a lot more. Like, you oh know, yeah, I yeah. Mean, this the the some of the guitar work is just so like meandering and like you know really it's like solo after solo after mm-hmm. you know it just kind of flows the whole time you know and uh, I've always had a soft spot for the one broading warning for some reason but um, yeah at the gallery I I don't know just in the decibel hall of fame recently mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
Well, we also had uh, Unanimated's uh, Ancient God of Evil. This is true. Vader's De Profundis came out this year. Yeah. Apollamia. Via Dolorosa. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, it's Latin for something. I don't know. Okay. Latin or Italian. Well, Gehenna, we had, you know, kind of like the next, I guess the third wave of black metal, but Gehenna was always a band that, uh, not the Gehenna with a, the hard H. rocker. Yeah. Yeah, not those guys. Uh, King of the Sidewalk. But uh, yeah, Gehenna from Norway, who put out a string of, I think, five great records. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. But, um, you know, this was sort of uh, the, the Swedish black death kind of sound had kind of taken hold and, and Dark Tranquility and Flames you know a lot of people who were into like the the naga fires and the unanimated and the dissections were also kind of like okay with some of the melodies that were happening with dark tranquility and, mm-hmm. and in flames and certainly at the gate slaughter of the soul which you know is probably the album of this year i mean it's the one that everyone's going to talk the most about probably historically from this point on and it deserves its due yeah i think I mean, as far as influence goes this slaughter of the soul and storm of the light spain yeah those are those i mean are, those are just <laughs> ginormous records you know and uh you know i mean we've talked a lot about like, the gates we did the show with albert and, and stuff and we reflected on it but uh certainly in terms of copycats you know slaughter of the soul has probably been copied more times than, than oh it's metalcore yeah, it wouldn't exist without it. Yeah, yeah. So. and uh, I bought this at the same time as I bought uh, Moonspell's Wolfheart, which is another great record. You know, great record that we we had to cut for time sake. But uh, yeah, it's funny when I first heard at the Gate Slaughter of the Soul on uh, the Furnace radio state on the radio station up in Mount Pleasant, where Mark and I grew up. I thought it was like uh, a, like an old Carcass song or something. <laughs> I had no like context to put it because I was like I never heard anything like with melodies. Yeah. And then the vocals, it was just sort of like, what is this? Like, it's yeah. not entombed. It's not, you know, it just had its own kind of unique sound. So certainly this is the the, the passing of the torch in a way from Stockholm to, to Gothenburg, you know, at least for the, the time being. And the snuffing of the torch as well. Yeah, in a way. It's, it's almost like the peak and, and, and it's going to dip out uh, pretty quick. Uh, but then we end it with Blind Guardians, Imaginations from the Other Side, which is probably... Uh, in modern terms, the, I, I'd say the greatest power metal record ever made in the last probably twenty years since nineteen ninety forward. I, yeah, and I'm you know I just I don't know. It's, it's there's, there's almost no listenable. debate for me. You know? Yeah, I mean the, any song. We the only reason we picked certain songs was time. Yeah, time. I mean, there's not a bad song speed, on the record. You know, we yeah. figured out ah, we're doing a metal show, so let's not play one of the more melodic songs per se. But uh, you know, the, what's funny is it came out in ninety five, but it probably didn't hit us until ninety six, ninety seven. Because it was such an expensive import and very, very hard to I find. I think I paid $30 for it. I definitely paid $30 for it. And in fact, we sold, uh, I remember telling uh, to, telling Hansi this when we I interviewed him, you know, we sold like 35 copies of this for like 30 bucks a piece. And he was like, holy crap. Well, I remember, <laughs> yeah, like not for this album, but uh, Nightfall in Middle Earth. I remember I was working at a gas station when that came out. And uh, I had my dad, it was on hold at the record store and I had my dad go get it. He's like... Why the hell are you paying thirty dollars for a CD? I'm like, oh, it's an import. It's, it's, it's a it's Blind Guardians. You're all right, import. whatever. Yeah, and uh, just, I mean, Blind Guardians. It's like a tank of of sound coming over you. I told Mark, it's like listening to like 3D. You know, yeah. it's just like everything happening. And if Michael Bay was good, yeah. If Jerry Bruckheimer had had yeah. some kind of uh, artistic sensibilities, yeah, exactly. That's what it would sound like. <laughs> but uh, anyways, and Blind Guardian, you know, uh, we'll go on and make some some great records after this uh, Nightfall, which Mark mentioned stuff. But certainly, this is opening the gateway to what's going to become the unfortunately the late '90s power metal scene. <laughs> 
and early 2000s. Hammer Falls. And, but we did get... Nocturnal Rights and some of that uh, kind of stuff. Yeah, but was, we did get Primal Fear. We, we got that, that first record yeah, from... Yeah, we did. We which, got dollars. Heck yeah. Uh, which I kind of want to do a show on that oh, record. Oh, we, we will. We will. <laughs> it's coming down the pike, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, if you don't have imagination from the, from the other side, you know, it's as, it's as seminal as Slaughter of the Soul and the gallery. And, and, and it's been time. reissued by Century Media, so it's affordable now. Yeah, you don't have to pay 30 bucks. But we're going to end things kind of talking about uh, where black metal kind of goes. And Mark already mentioned Gehenna but in uh, Moonspell, we mentioned, which was sort of a weird gothic black metal kind of mixture, but minus some of the... I know some of the pretenses that Cradle of Filth and some of those gothic black metal bands were. Kind it was of more funny. romantic, I guess. It was less uh, theatrical. Yeah, it, it, romantic. It was more mysterious. It had like you know the the vampirism and the the sort of the wolf imagery. I mean, it kind of almost had like a Universal Studios like horror film. It was almost to it. But. It was like a, like Danzig amped up as far as the yeah. thematic yeah, stuff goes. For sure, there was uh, Midnight Ride. Definitely had a Danzig yeah. feel to it off uh, Wolfheart, but. You know, uh, Dark Thrones Panzerfaust came out. Um, you know, the Nordic Metal compilation, which featured a lot of great bands in tribute to Euronymous. And uh, Arcturus's Aspira Hymn Symphona, which uh, pained me to not play a song from that because that was such a one of my first, if not my first favorite black metal record alongside Dissection, Stormlight mm-hmm. Spain. Because uh, the girl I was dating in high school at the time was really jacked up about Arcturus for some reason. It like she was into classical music, so it like makes it, it kind of it hit her, you know, on all fronts as well as in Flames. Uh, we got, musicianship. I, I think I told you that Moonshield we got played at our prom. Yeah, which is pretty uh, remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the two two black metal records that we did select to play for you this time is uh, Immortal and Dissection. So uh, tell Battles us. Battles in the North at the Stormy Gates of Mist. Yeah, I'm still standing. Uh, yeah, Battles in the North, when it first came out, people thought it was an absolute shitstorm yeah. because it was so it's fast hard, front to, to back. To it first. It's yeah. got really abrupt stops in between songs. And uh, and I mean, Pure Holocaust was fast, but this is like the whole... This is retarded. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this was like one of the, maybe the first, maybe the first good attempts at at the hyperspeed black metal stuff. Yeah. But it actually, uh, especially this, this track at the Stormy Gates of Mist had really bizarre, almost like... Uh, I mean, all, the guitar, the vocals, and the drums are all at different time signatures, mm-hmm. and probably out of the amateur nature of these guys and not really knowing what they're doing. But their end result is really fantastic, and this is one of my favorite all-time records. I think yeah, for yeah. this Mark is a reason, huge, I'm a huge Immortal, immortal fan, fan yeah. especially the fir- the second, third, and the, some of the later on stuff. But yeah. Pure Holocaust and Battles in the North are like kind of you know the penultimate Those black metal stuff in my terms. Yeah. You. yeah. You know, I think what and a complete abandoning the whole satanic imagery. Yeah, this is all Blashirk all the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, dissection of Storm of Lights Bane, where, where we're going to sort of end things, was kind of the it record in terms of black metal. I mean, this sort of brought a lot of camps together. It was a Swedish black metal record, which was sort of odd. Uh, oh, and it was, it was melodic. It was considered, know. I guess, a black death yeah. at the time. What whatever that means. And uh, it also had a lot of mainstream, not mainstream appeal, but more, it, it broke down a lot of barriers mm-hmm. with people like, even like people that were more into grind and something just jumped out about this. Well, I think it's, it's tight. It's fast. You know, I mean, it's, it's like slaughter of the soul version of black metal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think what some people, you know, maybe heard a blaze in the Northern sky and were like, oh, this is too sloppy. This type of sound, it's too lazy or something or too low. It's harsh. Yeah. Too <laughs> lo-fi in a way. It's, it's, and this is like, bombastic big but still scary but yet still catchy it, it kind of had every element working for it and it was an easy and there's a lot of thrash in it yeah it's, 
you know, you'll hear it in uh, the Retribution Storm of Light Spain, the track we're going to play. And, you know, it, it, it's got a lot of like classical, like, you know, like leads to it and like almost like 70s, early 80s kind of Iron Maiden y kind mm-hmm. of stuff going on. It's it's a great record. You know, it's a great place to end 95. I think it represents sort of the, the future and how black metal was uh, alongside, you know, the sort of Gothenburg Swedish scene. They were going to kind of take the torch. And they're going to take the late '90s metal scene forward, you know? and, and uh, for good and bad, ship, yeah. you know. I mean, it, it, it's it's a it's a weird era, and there's definitely a weird gap between '95 and 2001, which is the you know one of the episodes we did recently. So, but uh, immortal dissection. Uh, this is a good way to end it. So let us know what you thought. Uh, 1995. We'll be back soon with uh, some more stuff. But shoot us an email at recordpodcast at gmail.com or check us out on our website, recordpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a star review. That would be awesome. Yeah. So uh, for 1995, I'm Jason. And I'm Mark. And this is Immortals at the Stormy Gates of Mist and Dissections Retribution.